Hello, everybody. Um, we're back for episode two of Movies on Islands Month. Um, <laughs> yes, it's a stupid name. Um, and we are here with two wonderful gentlemen, Nazario Montenegro and Mike Hanley, who are um, lovers of ridiculous 1990s films. Um, and Zach and I decided that we were going to cover the island of Dr. Moreau, the uh, infamous, infamous Marlon Brando one from the 90s. Um, before we dive all the way into that craziness, we're going to do a little round of uh, Last Letter Next Movie. Zach Ford is looking for something. What's the last one you love on my box? I'm not looking for anything. My, my volume's not loud enough. I can't hear over Mike Hanley's fucking laughs. Um, anyways, my last letter box movie um, was something I know three of us have watched. Uh, but Lucas, not a man of culture or late 90s culture. Um, they recently watched the documentary on HBO, Woodstock 99. Um, also called Lucas 4. <laughs> um, anyways, they did the, Bill Simmons from The Ringer um, is doing a series. It's almost like he's 30 for 30 in the music world. Um, there's a collection of music documentaries that all seem really interesting. Can't can't fucking wait for a Kenny G documentary. That's gonna be great. <laughs> I'm watching that opening day. Um, but they started with um, something the Ringers explored before, which is um, the the chaos that ensued um, when they tried to do the I think the third incarnation of what stuck um, in 1999. Um, when mistake number one is you headlined with um, Limp Biscuit and Corn and Metallica, and you know, nothing, nothing captures the Woodstock um, perspective and ideas than, than Fred Durst. Um, and um, one is just an, a story I'm really interested in, and in how you get a group of assholes together and what's possibly going to go wrong. Um, and they do a good job of connecting to what that said, kind of about the times and about um, the the youth at the time. And then they talk a lot about the like they have like no big issues to be fighting, so they just like fight at life. We just fight at being angry about being here, about nothing. Um, and I think there's a lot of relevancy to say that they don't connect to too much. Um, um, other than the mention, like now this kind of um, toxicity is online. Um, but it, it's still an interesting dive into that kind of uh, psyche. And I think it does a good job at like kind of blaming some people, but also ha like spreading it around. Like you can still kind of make your own um, ideas on who's at fault here. I don't think the movies make any really rough judgments other than the one founder coming off as like a complete ass. But once again, maybe that's me, you know, finding this bullshit. Other people maybe buy that and agree with them. Yeah, documentaries. Um, I think the biggest thing I heard about this documentary was people were mad because uh, they did not talk to any of the people who were survivors of sexual assault uh, related to this event, um, which sort of people said it was a big, big swing and a miss um, and kind of leaves the story one-sided. Um, yeah, especially when it's like a good 20 to half hour of the movie, like it's a big talking point that you gotta get the right people to talk about it. Yeah, and there's also, I guess, a lot of footage of people somewhat naked who may or may not have had um, control over their own images, which is certainly uh, problematic. Mike and Nazario, I think you, you, Zach said you guys saw this. Any thoughts? Yes. I thought it was good. Uh, I didn't think it was. I, I'm not going to go back to it. Like, I agree that there were parts in there that probably should have been had more people explaining the situation rather than who they got. 
I don't know why they didn't go towards the certain group. If they if they did and they just went, yeah, do not. This is not the place that we want to talk about it on with this documentary. Either way, yeah, there was a lot that could have been explored with it. A lot of people compared it to the fire documentaries, and that's what I was kind of going into it thinking. Okay, they're going to get into more of the bullshit things that happened with it, but it was mainly a lot. A lot of it was about Limp Biscuit starting a lot of shit, which was kind of hilarious. <laughs> a lot of it was just they about did not Limp like Limp Biscuit. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was good overall. I, I think it was kind of a basically a summary of what happened, more than something that deeply explored it. Basically, yeah. uh, they just labeled it Woodstock because the name was catchy and it was a 30th anniversary, but it had nothing to do with Woodstock since, you know, Woodstock is all about peace and love and, and you know, fight the, the government stuff. And this was all like angry, good old boys looking for somewhere to stick their dick in. I, I honestly, dude, it was like in a military base abandoned in the middle of the <laughs> fucking summer, heat over the place, and they're going to bring in people and make them like fucking rage with there was not yeah it was Limbiscuit and corn but it was like metallica rage against the machine and red hot chili peppers <laughs> i mean it was like a it was like a bubbling thing it was more like a a, a new metal concert well new metal and cold was a megadeth that's how oh, megadeth was dead. Dead. yeah that's true and it was it was an, a weird selection for something you want to sell as woodstock and also uh, you kind of have to be a jackass to be like, you know, all the food you cannot bring from outside, and we're going to charge you $4 in $19.99. You have nowhere else to go. You can't leave. Yeah, it's... Uh, that was kind of like... like it was the perfect soup of anger that they made there. and The, the, the result was the only, only logical conclusion. But, it's, almost like, it's almost like giant music festivals are terrible ideas. And always, always, always ended like they, 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 and they talk about they kind of like figured it out eventually. Yeah, they're like Coachella, I go to so they do it like differently. It's it, you have to know how to mix the mix and match the elements. But I do agree with Fred Durst, he's a giant asshole. <laughs> um, I'm going to a music festival in May, and when I light that shit on fire, um, and start robbing all the, the, the ATMs and stuff, I will let you know. Okay. Uh, can I have like it's a one day festival? This better fucking go. <laughs> we'll see how much you make. Um, Mike, what's the last thing you logged? Uh, last thing I logged was Set It Off, the F. Gary Gray bank robbery movie with uh, Vivica Fox, Queen Latifah, Jada Pinkett Smith, and uh, Kimberly El- Elise. Kimberly Elise. I thought it was pretty. This is my first time watching it. I've always seen the cover at the video store I worked at, and then. We got asked a question in trivia about it, and I knew it based off the fucking cover. <laughs> and I liked it. I think it was over dramatic at certain points, and that kind of killed it for me because they kind of went too much into the over dramatics rather than just keeping it kind of subtle, which certain scenes could have out of that subtlety. John C. McGinley is fucking amazing as always. <laughs> and this time he plays a regular cop, not a police captain like in Point Break. But I thought he was great. Queen Latifah, I think, was I think this is a perfect role for her. She was good. But yeah, I'd recommend it. Pretty good fucking movie. So I haven't seen this, but um, is was one that I think like you that I've uh, 
been interested in. It's just sort of one of those ones that always floats around the periphery of things I'm about to watch and just hasn't gotten picked yet. Fair. What about you, Nazar? Have you seen this? I saw it in the 90s. So I don't remember that much of it. Yeah. Basically, four girls make a gang, steal some shit, something like that. Yeah, they rob banks. Maybe <laughs> uh, like widows, but, you know, less dramatic. I remember I liked it when I watched it. 97 or something. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, I haven't rewatched it, so maybe that's uh, that says something. But I yeah, did. I, I remember enjoying it. Yeah, Zach, uh, set it off. Any, any, no, I haven't seen it, but I found some coconut cocoa butter by my desk, and now I'm going to get all nice and smooth. And the audience has just completely turned this episode off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ooh, Desario. Those wrists going to feel good. You're a weird man, Zach. Uh, <laughs> Are you allergic to the sun? Am I allergic to the sun? Um, like, psychologically, yes. Okay. I'm not going to ask a question. Sorry, what's the last thing you do logged? See, the last thing I logged, I watched a couple of hours ago. Teen Titans Go! See Space Jam. My favorite movie. It's, it's, not, it's not good. And I'm a guy who enjoys some Teen Titans Go action. Teen Titans Go to the movie, I thought it was pretty underrated comedy. Teen Titans versus Teen Titans Go versus Teen Titans, actually, is the one my kid has made me watch the most. And it's actually a lot of fun. And it pokes fun at the fact that they took out the Teen Titans that everybody, like adult people like, to put the Teen Titans Go and why one is better than the other. It's, it's hilarious. Uh, but this one, not so much. Uh, it's pretty basic shit, like uh, the little aliens from uh, Space Jam just show up one day at the Teen Titans headquarters, and they're like, oh my god, you're the little aliens from uh, Space Jam. It's a cyborg, is the one who's a fan of Space Jam, and they're like, yeah, we are. He's like, but aren't they evil? Should we not trust them? He's like, no, they're fine. Uh, you guys have never seen Space Jam? And everybody's like, no, you're the only fan of that cyborg, and everybody's like, okay, let's go watch it. And basically, it becomes a, a kind of a kid version of Mystery Science Theater 3000. When they like point out some jokes and count how many butt shots are in the movie and dumb stuff like that, and they intercut it with some of the scenes with the Teen Titans, like when they take the powers from the basketball players, the Teen Titans like, "Can you do that? Hey, do that to us!" It's like, "Why are we gonna do that to you?" Ah, they they take the power from Teen Titans, and then the inevitable happens. It's a, uh, it's dumb, and sounds like the, the best thing I've ever heard of. The first time I watched it, I think I kind of went like, ha! This time I was like, huh. So, yeah, it's not, not good. Also, very uh, the ending is very unfulfilling. It basically ends in something that you know they're going to keep going. And my 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 fear is that they're going to do Teen Titans Go Watch Space Jam a new legacy, which would be horrifying. Unless yeah. Count the that sounds even better! That was atrocious. I would never watch this in a million years. You could not. I don't know. You'd have to pay me a said fight like a large sum of money if you wanted me to watch the movie, like five hundred bucks or more. I think as I think that's bullshit. You're one of the few Space Jam New Legacy defenders out there, and I I think they was gonna love it's gonna be us, and we're gonna record a live commentary right after this. No, no, really not. I don't want to watch weird Teen Titans animated. Produced in four minutes movie. I'm good. 
or going to like Mystery Science Theater of show that's parodying Mystery Science Theater. Meta at all the levels. I think I think the world would implode if we tried to do that. Um, I'm assuming Mike has not seen this and does not have any interest in seeing this. You're correct. <laughs> I haven't downloaded because Nazario had the link in there, but am I going to watch it? Probably not. <laughs> maybe one day when you're drunk. Fair. Like, or maybe right after this when we do our commentary, you guys are also part of this. Nazario's <laughs> fifth time watching it. Sure. Would Nazario die if we made him watch it five times? Nah, you'll be better, Probably man. Not. I have my kid has made me watch shitty things multiple times, and he survived the Snyder Cup four times already. <laughs> I yeah, I think if he watched it a fifth time, he would be like his hero Eddie Vedder and be a better man. I think it's one of those things like you laugh less and less and less every time, and then suddenly you find it hilarious again. It's weird, but it's like. You know, it's like poetry, it rhymes. It's like it's like tolerance. You've built up a tolerance when some of the tolerance breaks. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. The last thing I watched was um, Wong Kar Wai's nineteen ninety four film Ashes of Time, which oh, is the shit, film I haven't that, he, that shit. he took. He took a break from this film to make Chunking Express. Um, uh, this is probably of his early movies his most ambitious one. He tries to tell um, the story of a swordsman fighting to defend people. It is an incredibly convoluted uh, movie that only exists currently in like the Redux version. Supposedly, the original was a lot more um, coherent. It's really kind of a frustrating movie because it has all the hallmarks of his greatness. It has uh, amazing sound, the great score. It's visually very interesting and very cool. It is almost impossible to follow and understand the relationships between the characters and why you're supposed to care about anyone and like what the uh, any character's motivation anytime you have characters who they're they're sort of unclear if they're the same character if they're different characters there's also like some stuff where you can't tell if they have women playing men or women are disguised as men it's just a, a deeply confusing film and um I think of the stuff I've watched from him, probably the worst one. Uh, just not it doesn't ever really come together in the way that the best of his work does. Uh, it's just not satisfying, and you spend the majority of the movie being like, "Am I not paying well enough attention? Like, if I'm not focused enough to understand what's going on?" It's just really, really, really complicated to follow. And I don't think, to be honest, even if you you wrote it all out, it would even make sense. Um, yeah, Ashes of Time, sort of a, a very meh film from a Truly great director. I'm guessing none of you guys have seen this. No. In a match I was doing for Spanish trivia uh, on Monday <laughs> last week, this was one of the options in round two. I'm sorry. No one picked it. Or yeah, because you could watch this movie and you still wouldn't be able to answer questions about it. I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah, because you'd be like... What's this thing? What's this character supposed to be like? You have no idea. It could be like one of like five options. Um, yeah, it's a very, very weird film that I would love to, if he got a chance to revisit or try to cut it together or even explain what he was going for. Because for a director who's usually pretty calculated and pretty in control of his narratives, um, this is just a lot of weird parts that don't seem to fit together. Um, let us jump ahead to our discussion of the island of Dr. Moreau. 
Zach and I are going to attempt the impossible. We're going to give a plot summary. This could get bad. Zach, would you like to go first? Do you want me to start? Okay, I got this. Uh, Riz, Ifans, Ifans, uh, we want to say, or not Riz, Ifans, a fucking, uh, no, Theodulus, God, some reason in my mind when it started, I was like, oh, we slice this, I was like, no, it's fucking wrong Harry Potter character, where am I, god damn it, okay, so, try to get Professor Lupin, Professor Lupin, yeah, Professor Lupin, um, is like, fighting some man on a boat, I think he might have murdered or drowned the man with a paddle, um, as he was like a war um, r- refugee, I guess, or just a, a war survivor in a raft. Um, he's a UN employee. Although this is why the fuck is he in the middle of the ocean? <laughs> I generally so this is what it says on Wikipedia. It says he's a UN like interpreter or something. Um, mm-hmm. He's a UN agent who is left to die in the middle of the ocean. Utterly no idea when watching the film he works for the UN. <laughs> Okay. So David Lewis translates from hyena swine to people. David Lewis drowns a man with a paddle and then gets discovered by um, Val Kilmer, who's like a, in quotations, vet um, that says, hey, I'm like hanging out on this island. You should come with me. Um, and it turns out it's ran by this rich guy that they say invented Velcro, but we're not supposed to take that seriously, right? I feel like inventing Velcro has been used in like 20 different movies to explain why someone is rich. It's like the go-to bullshit answer why someone's rich. But Martin Brando invented Velcro, if anyone didn't know it. So he used all that Velcro money to fund this lab experiment of an island that David Thewlis discovers they're trying to um, make half-man, half-animal uh species um that he can then treat as his family um and his like servants is uh piano buddies um he plays piano with the little guy that's just like the most beautiful thing i've ever seen in a movie um <laughs> it's really lovely um then there's like chaos happens because they they start to like rip out their micro trips that like tase them if they breed aggression he's like trying to create this utopia but he's also tasing the shit out of these creatures to keep them um tame um and when they figure out when when wolf bear monkey man can rip out um the the chip there's like we're gonna fuck shit up um and they just start acting like chaos val kilmer you know starts having orgies um on drugs since he's just like inducing all the animals um or whatever drugs he has uh marlon brando get, gets murdered um shit happens that's all i got yeah um i will add to that by saying one of the big uh instigating factors is realizing that one of the character one of the high human animal hybrids is eating meat which violates the rules put in place by marlon brando that's why he's initially tasering it that character gets killed by uh sort of one of the there's a weird divide there's a weird divide in the in the hybrids between those that are sort of like it is a i i i'm not sure but it does seem like a allegory to house slave versus field slave um with like his children that are inside and like part of the family versus the ones that are outside. And um, that's the moment that the animals outside realize, oh, there's these chips. They all start pulling them out and they start fighting back. Um, yeah. Uh, Val Kilmer is a I actually person. read that a bit uh, more like uh, the earlier experiments where it's like the, the, the transformation is a little rougher, oh, that's more probably true. animalistic. Put those guys in the backyard. 
when we when we are fixing the things, the, the more human we get, then you get to call me daddy and live in my house. I mean, I think the assumption we're all supposed to make is that Aisa is the most recent hybrid because yeah. she's yeah. by far the most human-like of the characters. In the fact, she's the character, the only one of them up until the moment where she starts transitioning back into animal form that actually looks like a person. Um, I want to talk first about the process of this film coming together because oh. it is insanity. Um, this was originally supposed to be the dream of director Richard Stanley, who is a director from like the early nineties who are like cult horror films that I've never heard of. Hard he, drive. He I'm really sure wanted, he wanted probably Morgan. Mike's favorite director. I assume. <laughs> <laughs> probably true. He wanted Jurgen Prochnow to play the Moreau character. New Line's like, no, we're getting a famous person. His name's Marlon Brando. Um, New Line Cinema, who he's working with at the time, tries to go behind Stanley's back. They want to offer the movie to Roman Polanski. I believe this is, if I'm not 100, yes, this is this is Roman Polanski post-fleeing the yes. United States of America yes. um, because he's a criminal. Um, Stanley meets with Brando. They actually hit it off. Then they're like, we're going to get Bruce Willis to play the UN negotiator role. We're going to get James Woods to play Montgomery. They've got Stan Winston on to do the special effects. Everything looks like it's going to be great. Bruce Willis drops out like right before principal photography starts because he's getting divorced. from Demi Moore and him are divorcing. So then they replace him with Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer says... I want to be in 40% less shooting days than you're going to do with Bruce Willis. So then they switch Val Kilmer. Well, also to this... because he found out that he was getting divorced through paparazzi. That's later. And that's when the shooting started. This is pre-shooting. Then Val Kilmer gets switched into the Montgomery supporting role. So he has less screen times. This kicks James Woods out of the production. Then they hired the star of Northern Exposure, the TV show from CBS, Rob Murrow, to play the lead role. Then, right before filming begins, Brando's daughter commits suicide. So he leaves and goes back to his private island and is basically like, I don't know if I'm coming back. They do end up getting him back. They go to North Queens of Australia. They start shooting. Kilmer is a pain in the ass. He shows up two dates late to the shoot. He is a gigantic asshole and is a pain to deal with. He's bullying people. He's hostile. He's just annoying. Um, he won't deliver the dialogue. I mean, he's just from Batman and the Saint. Do you expect him to be anything <laughs> less than an asshole? This is when he finds out because of news reports that he's getting divorced too. Um, so he's getting crazy. The studio is now getting mad at Stanley because he can't get Kilmer under control. Then Rob Murrow can't deal with the bullying from Kilmer and the weather and drops out on the second day of shooting. Um, then on day three, New Line Cinema fires Robert Stanley by fax. <laughs> yes. And then he like does a bunch of shit that messes up the production and, and pushes it back. So then Fruza Balk tries to quit it too, but basically her agents are like, if you don't stay in this production, they're going to blackball you. You'll never work again. So then Newland brings in John Frankenheimer, um, who basically does it only because he wants to work with Marlon Brando. Um, 
he has a completely different approach from Robert Stanley. So they have to take off like a week and a half to rewrite the script. This is when they bring in David Thewlis to play Douglas. Um, the problem then becomes that Brando and Kilmer don't want to be on set together and basically spend vast amounts of their days in their trailers and basically refuse to come out. Um, Frankenheimer gets into fights with Kilmer. Um, David Thewlis says basically this movie is terrible, starts to rewrite his character and rewrite his own dialogue, does a bunch of like stuff. This pisses off Brando because he's having to deal with constant rewrites, and he's like, I'm not remembering these lines. Just give me an earpiece. Um, at this point, Marlon and Kilmer start fighting more. After Kilmer gets his final scene done, John Frankenheimer basically kicks him off the set and like, I never want to see him again. Um, there's questions if Stanley, the original director, was going to come back and burn the set down so they had to hire extra security. Um yeah, and then they finally finished this. They released this movie, and it is received terribly. Um, is a horrendous bomb, like really bad. And uh, yeah, is uh, got a bunch of Razzies, and people don't like it. But um, even with it not being very good, and there's some argument on this uh, this podcast if it's good or not. It's a fascinating movie to watch. Um, I'll, I want to go around the horn for a second. I'll say that the first time I watched this, I was younger and I really didn't like it. On rewatch this time, I, I still don't think the movie is good overall, but I think it is fascinating in terms of the, the choices it makes. I think the special effects are kind of interesting. And I think just the story is fascinating in that I don't know how close it is to the original H.G. Wells novel, but it certainly is uh, making a lot of choices. I was wondering, Zach... Was this the first time you watched this? And uh, what was like the initial no, I, topic? Why would I have any reason to watch this before we decided? <laughs> yeah, you've you all you know you've seen it before because you're a weirdo and you just watch like crazy shit. You're probably like animals, and I like like weird animal horror movies. I'm pretty sure my parents showed me this. I don't know why they showed me this, but um, but is is your mom like the biggest fan of <laughs> Doctor Review? She's like, ah, my yeah. favorite book, finally living in the way it should be on screen. No, I have no idea why. What did you think about um, um, I don't think it's like a disaster. I think there's things that are interesting about it. Not going to lie. I think um, Brando is like really good. And like really interesting in his performance. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and kind of sympathetic. I, I think I'm going into it, I expect him to be more of a weirdo than the villain. So the turn of it did kind of catch me a surprise. Um, like he's definitely, you know, the classic horror idea um that this is based on a classic horror book of like the mad scientists fucking shit up by, by being a little over greedy with their ambitions. I mean, I think he's a good encapsulation of that eccentricity. Um, so I like that, but the movie is just really messy. It definitely looks like something that's been torn to shreds. I really think there's bones there that could have made an interesting, you know, fun, fun movie. Um, I, I think once like chaos starts to reign on that second half, everything just starts to fall apart. It's just like too much. And I never like really get or care about the motivations for the rebellion. They kind of just make it look like uh, like Jurassic Parkish. Like, what do you expect to happen? You you messing with life, shit's gonna happen. Rather than giving them like a real purpose. Um, when they, these are creatures with minds and hearts and souls and they need love too. Interesting thing. Uh, what about you, Mike? <laughs> I feel like you've seen this before. Okay, yeah. Um... When I was in elementary school, my dad would take me out half days on Fridays to go 
see movies in the theater. And I remember this being one of them. <laughs> we went to wow. go see this in the theater. And is it a good movie? No. But is it so batshit nuts that I enjoy the hell out of it? Yes. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> the performances are all wacky. Marlon Brando is definitely giving the best performance he can give with all the shit he has going on. One And the um, earpiece he had would get police frequencies frequencies in it so he'd sometimes say police shit <laughs> which is fucking hilarious Absolutely. but David Thewlis I think is the best part of this fucking movie like, he's such a dick throughout this entire movie it's fucking hilarious and you kind of like as his character you, you're kind of feeling you. they want you to feel sympathy for him that he's stuck on this island with a bunch of fucking weirdos but he's such a dickhead that you kind of just want him to die halfway through this fucking movie he literally murdered a man at the start so i don't know how he's supposed to follow him as our hero i mean he's the hero in that he's the the person who is on the island by chance not by choice he's the only person who's not actively participating in yeah. this like bizarre mutation thing that's going on, so I guess in that fact he's the hero. I and do the fact that him. he hates that they're being like electrocuted and shit, like you can tell it irritates him and he wants it to stop. Yeah. Like I guess that's the only part of him actually. You know, he's kind of a good guy there. <laughs> he doesn't want them to be tortured. Guess theoretically, if a smarter filmmaker made this, the book might be intending that concept as like a, a mirror of like how he turned into an animal in some sorts when, when situation got drastic on the raft. Then now he's seen, you know, how, you know, the half humans, half animals are just resemblances of what he went through. Um, and the loss of society. It's how, it's how we all turn into shithole half animal monsters <laughs> when things go wrong and we start burning down stages at Lepisco concerts. Nazario, you've seen this before, right? Do you have any different takes from the first time you watched it to now? Uh, yes. But I have a question first. Yeah, go ahead. Hi. Yes. Did your dad take you to the movie theater? And then when the creatures show up, he just went like, Bye! Look at him! Look at him! I, I, can't, I can't even imagine that going on and like hey, little, yeah. little Mike Hanley being like so freaked out. Uh, okay. Yes, I watched this in the 90s. I wasn't a child. I was 16 years old or something. Uh, but I remember thinking, wow, that was a weird ass move. And then I, I never went to watch it again. Really? That you made me. But I thought you were like, ah, oh, this movie rules. Where's the fucking... Dr. Moreau Lego set. I need that now. No. Oh, I would buy that shit, but it's never going to happen. <laughs> Actually, like, I, I don't think it's a... I'm kind of close to Zach. Like, I, I think there's good bones here. I think there's a there's an interesting base, and it just kind of became a lot of piles of shit on top of each other because of all the mess that you mentioned at the beginning. Like, if they had tried for real to make a decent movie, they, they probably would have. But this feels like a stitch job on, a, on top of a stitch job. It just doesn't. I mean, I have so many questions. Well, I mean, like, I'll go. I'll add into this, which is like, I think there's one thing that's really obvious is when they have to switch directors, they don't take six months off. They don't take a year off to write this. They rewrite this in like 10, 11 days. <laughs> like they clearly at some point, I think the studio decided this is a piece of crap. This is like, this is a dumpster fire. We're not going to win here. Just get yeah. us something. 
Because I think like they don't like they're not giving it the best shot. They're they have to replace like nine people and they're taking like ten days off. They're not really taking a pause I, in the movie. I can tell you for a fact that Bob Kilmer didn't give a shit. I mean, he is, <laughs> I don't he know is, what he is obviously. I don't think his character was that much of a jackass. I think he made it He's that a way. Drug addict. You, you you like the bunny? You see the bunny? Frank said that shit. Eat it in front of him. Or I just it, it was it necessary for him to openly mock Marlon Brando on screen. He literally gets the makeup, sits down in front of the people like the, the animals, gives him a bunch of drugs, and starts trying to talk like Brando. He's pretty good at it too. I, I can tell you that what's unscripted. That's like this is what I would my character would do. No. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that Kilmer went um that that he was taking the he went method on it. Like he was also taking whatever drugs that he said he was giving those monkeys. He was definitely like fucking animals in the woods. He was doing something on this. <laughs> he, he he went for that lifestyle. See, I think I think what's clear is just his hatred of Marlon Brando comes out on screen. Like his oh, character, yeah. I don't yeah, think that I don't think he's I don't think he's mocking Moreau. I think he's mocking Marlon Brando. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. mocking Moreau. That's what I'm saying. Brando, can, and they're like, I think they shared the screen like two or three times max. Yeah, Marlon Brando oh, yeah. was in like six, like five scenes in the whole fucking movie. Like, I think he go. He's in the dinner scene. He shows up to the animals. Then they do the thing with Lo May. And then the laboratory with the piano, and the, and the, they kill him, like yeah. five scenes. Yeah? yeah, it's about five scenes. I think yeah. it's like less than half the movie. And oh, also, yeah. like, you don't want to have, you ha you want to try to have this utopian place when you do not, dude. Give some fucking bunny. There was not a single rabbit person there. He never <laughs> tried to make a rabbit person. Just okay, save the rabbits. The rabbit people are not gonna be a thing. So feed the animals the rabbits. Why are you making them vegetarians? That is just calling for it. So this there is should be a lot more creativity in the designs. Okay, go. So this is explained. The character of Dr. Moreau is a vegetarian and hates the consumption of animal flesh. That, now, this is one of these things that you realize that if you start reading about this movie and this the source material, it's not evident in the movie. It's the same thing with no. like him being a UN employee, like none of this stuff comes through. Like, they do a terrible job explaining the motivations of the characters and like even just the, the basic like facts of their jobs. Um, I have mostly because like it feels like they wrote like this movie feels like it was written in seven days. Like they're just missing like, ninety facts. Like you're trying to have a utopia thing and you're gonna try to like treat everybody the same, but you have some some animals in your house that you call your family and you dress them all pretty nice and you give them classes and teach them to talk, to play piano and shit. And then you throw the rest in the fucking forest. And some of them get some like cool names, like low May or stuff. And the other motherfucker, it's called hyena swine. <laughs> <laughs> and also, and also, I don't know who's talking about. That's my next kid's name. So I don't like that you're, you're fucking. And, and he underestimated hyena swine. He fucking did, because that motherfucker had forensic knowledge. He picked up the the burn up bones of the, of the other character, and he's like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> this bone has a microchip, and this bone is obviously this bone." <laughs> so I'm gonna take this shit out of the first try. He's like, "That that's some smart shit right there." Yeah, I mean, so this is something I was I was thinking about. There feels like to me that there's a lot of discussion 
of race in this film. And it's a lot of it is an allegory for it. I do think that the relationship between the family and like the family hybrids and then the outside hybrids, it does feel like to me, like it is attempting to make an allegory between house slaves and like field slaves and the relationship that we had in slavery time where certain slaves were put in a position above others and allowed to be more a part of the family and more closely connected to like the main group versus the ones that were treated more like they were part of like the day-to-day processing of the farm or the plantation or whatever they're working at and treated in a less green way. It does feel like that there is at least somewhat of an intention there. And also think it is interesting to point out that the majority of the actors, I think almost all the actors who are playing the animal-human hybrids are peoples of color. I'm not sure if this was an intentional thought by the studio, the director, or even the casting people. I do think it's also interesting that a lot of the characters that are the animal-human hybrids look like they are either black or Latino, like there's a there's an interesting relationship between none of them look white. There, none of these characters, none of the human animal hybrids look like white people. Except they the always only look one like that actually looks like a human, <laughs> except for Farouja Balk. Yeah. And the, but to go to your point of the uh, like allegory that they're making, Farouja Balk probably the uh, most privileged of all the hybrids, probably gets the best treatment, who is essentially the human passing. She's the one who can pass for full human. Essentially, the history of like the the slaves that could pass mostly for white would definitely get more of the privilege. And in this, if you use the same analogy, is potentially the the product of a relationship between the master or the controlling person of the household and one of the hybrids. Like that, she's the closest to him, and is the. It's also it's interesting so you're that she fucked the cat. No, I'm saying I'm saying in the allegory, she is the Probably. she is the. In, in, if you're comparing this, I don't think I don't think there's actually any sex going on. I think this is all test tube creations. Um, yeah, I don't think we ever get the indication that Moreau is is perverted in that respect. He seems to just be a very weird person who enjoys mixing different DNA together and then creating all these different hybrids. And just oh. for fun, like, what is his end game here? Like, what, he's not trying to like establish any scientific discoveries. He's just like I'm fucking around. It's just like his genius hour project. That's a school term. <laughs> um, just to like, hey, this sounds cool, but there's no like medical breakthroughs that's going to happen, I think, through his ideas. I don't think he has a hypothesis he's trying to... He's he was trying, trying to do a perfect human. He's trying to create the perfect race, like the perfect yeah, race. species. Yeah. Which is... is another thing that this movie really fails at is I feel like there's a lot to Moreau's character that is you can read about if you read the Wikipedia page or you start going to this information, this stuff is not shown. Like no. we we're, in some ways we really miss the scene where Moreau explains his philosophy. That feels like a scene that is sort of fundamental to this genre of mad scientist film, but also is just completely missing here. He never has this explanation. He's just like, yeah, we have hybrids. And it's like, are you just doing this? Ra-? Like you're right. It does feel like he's just doing it randomly, but you know, the character clearly has more um, thought process to it when you actually like dig into the details. Um, we like Marlon Brando. Does anyone have a problem with Brando's performance? I mean, it's very weird. But the movie is weird. He's in the right vein of what the movie's going for. I think he's he's the one that's the least going to insane. Like he has a low level down to make it grounded. But I mean, he he's doing late nineties Brando. Like, yeah, that's what he was doing at the time. Yeah, basically, he's a no-give-a-shit attitude, Brando, and it works. It works with these type of performances because he doesn't have to give his Oscar-worthy performance here to make it good. 
You know just what, does what, what's weird? It reminds me a lot of Marlon Brando in Don't Want the Mark. Reminds me of a lot of Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. <laughs> yeah. It feels a lot like it's Colonel Kurtz 20 years later. Um, like, I don't think, it, like, in the ice bucket on the head. Would you be that surprised? Yeah, the fucking Kurtz, ice bucket on the head. For, there's so many weird things. He's, he's slathering. I think, I believe it looks like. When you feel the thermal control thing, I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? All <laughs> oh, right. Just Timmy's put eyes in the bucket in my head. There is a, um, a thing out there that they said that. He thought his character would have experimented, experimented on himself and made him like a whale-like character. So he had, had the ice bucket, that water coming in. <laughs> it's some batshit crazy thing. Somebody suggested that he thought his character might true. Be. <laughs> they should have gave him like a camel hump. They should have gotten to with his design. Like, or he just had like a big whale dick. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he slathers himself with zinc oxide every time he has to go out in the, in the sun, which is, yeah. I guess the idea is that he's supposed to be albino. Or that's the thing that makes sense that he would have a problem with the sun. Um, I just assume you like spent so much time in the lab. Or he just spent so much time in the lab that he like has lost exposure to the sun. <laughs> so his body can't react to it anymore. I do like the fact he's constantly complaining about the heat. That feels like the most actual Marlon Brando line in the entire He's like, I hate this heat. It sucks being here. I was um, just head, like trying to trying to ask for a water bottle while filming. You guys, you guys don't know, but tropical heat is no joke. Like it's not even the heat; it's the humidity. You never stop sweating. Mm -hmm. Those people who don't are, are not used to that. They're gonna fucking die in Ireland. <laughs> And it's actually worse because when you're in humid, when you're in a humid climate, sweating is less effective because you're it doesn't evaporate as much, so you can't cool your sound down yeah. as much as effectively. That's why dry heat is actually better because in dry heat you evaporate the sweat on your skin really pretty quickly, which cools yourself down. In humid heat, it's actually significantly less effective, so you remain you remain overheated for like a much longer period of time. Yeah, goddamn nerd, but I um, do love that we're all in the, the vein that you may maybe this movie is not great, but also what's not great is the sun. The sun fucking sucks, um, heat sucks, and we should all go live in cloudy Dublin and sing songs with Glenn Hansard. Wow, it just took a took a weird. I, the song that fucking sucks. I like woke up today because I had to start a job for the first time at 7 a.m. driving to the thing for in three months. And I was like, why the fuck is the sun specifically only in my left eye? Like covering everything in my left eye, there's no vision. And then the like, world would be so much easier if there's just a big old cloud right now. And so people need to get off the sun's dick and saying how great it is that we have light and, and understand, you know, sometimes too much light is a problem. All right. All right. <laughs> I like the sun, but we'll move on. Um, you act like me doing that was like, ah, oh, taking the show off the rails, but you went on fucking two minutes about the science of heat. And you're like, that's cool. That's at least relevant to the topic. <laughs> um, is it? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so Marlon Brando wins the Razzie for worst supporting actor over Kilmer, which I think we can agree is insane. Like, yes. Yeah. Because Kilmer is. Oral. Over kind of, the, the violent rebel ape guy, he should have got the Razzie. <laughs> we all like, I think we all like Marlon Brown in the film. Does anyone like Val Kilmer in this no. movie? He just is, I think like him terrible. in like an interestingly bad way. Like in a bad way, way yes. That, that, <laughs> he's what makes this movie not become boring bad, but like goofy, laughable bad. <laughs> yeah. 
He's supposed to be a, a brilliant neurosurgeon yeah. who gave everything up because of his love for Brando's science, and he moved to a fucking island to become a, a veterinarian to mutants. In a prison and guard, basically. Can, you don't read none of that. The, the thing you read from the Kilmer performance is he hated Brando. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a fucking jackass. It's like, like half. His, I, I would not be surprised if to find out like over half his performance was improvised, or him just fucking with people instead. I mean, it really. I mean, like you can, all of the drugs that can, his character supposedly on, that he's doing all the random crap that he's giving all the yeah. other pets and taking himself. Like he just seems like a deeply fucked up human being the entire time. You can tell he does not care. Which, no. in your little description of how this movie is made, is, you know, what comes off. And he's just like, fuck this. Fuck my life. Fuck my marriage. And just, like, got high and <laughs> let, like, eight orgies happen around them. The only thing I mean, he had to, the only thing yeah. he was, like, he restrained himself from doing was standing on a fucking chair and screaming he was Batman or something. I mean, I guess <laughs> he hated Frankenheimer. He hated Brando. Um, that's not a great sign. And if we're being honest, he probably comes off the worst in all those because I think people respect both Frankenheimer and Brando probably more than Val Kilmer at this point. We should um, all watch the Val Kilmer documentary and get the true story now. Oh, it's all that, Val. He's supposed to have a lot of behind the scenes footage of movies he's done in the past, which supposedly he has a lot from Island of Dr. Moreau. I, I really see hope that. So. I, I want to fucking see that. <laughs> what do we think of David Thewlis in the film? Anyone have a particular take he's on him? fine. I mean, look at him. He was right. <laughs> he has probably the greatest line delivery of the entire fucking movie. <laughs> I think I think he's fine because he has like he's right on the edge where you could take him as this like upright British guy, but there's something just a little off kilter that always turns him. He's like he he's the perfect for the the uptight British guy that gets lost in that chaos. That's mine starts to dwindle, which is kind of think one of it when it's cured kind of it's made up. Even Lupin, there's something just like a little quirky about his performance in there. And so I think it's kind of perfect for us. It just it's just the character kind of gets badly used. Um so I don't think it's performance, but I do think the character is I think there's some scene where he's like the, the famous look at him line. I think the point of that line is supposed to be Thulis going, Oh my god, what have you done here? Yeah. And it comes off as Thulis just being like deeply rude and a dick to all these like four yeah. hybrids. Like it's not their fault. They, they he definitely wanted to put that head down a toilet. He definitely wanted to put that. Such a weird performance. And I mean, I guess it does it sort of makes sense that he's the last one to come in because he does feel like the character that they just kind of they were like, you just need to fill this role in the film, regardless of what if that makes sense narratively. Like you're sort of just the audience surrogate. We're just gonna throw you in a bunch oh, of situations man. and like sort of so we can show people shit. So he does as a character seem to get he doesn't really have a character, he's just sort of there. His job is to be like, Oh, we need to find out that there are animals eating animals eating rabbits, so you're gonna go in the woods, or we need you to find out that you know this is happening so you do this or you need to leave so that the island the movie can end so you're gonna do this like a lot of his character just feels like we're just gonna send you wherever the the story needs to go regardless of if it makes sense for his character or like it doesn't help that during that look at me scene they have the little dude come up to him to shake his hand and he looks like the most disgusted human being on the planet it's a a bad look (laughs) (laughs) like he doesn't want to shake his hand 
such a weird movie. <laughs> let's talk about why did, um, why did the little dude? Why uh, let's let's be respectful. Nelson de la Rosa. That's yeah, the little Nelson dude. Nelson de la Rosa. Why was he exactly like uh, always dressed like uh, Brando? Like was he? Because that, that was his mini me. It was like what he saw himself in. He loved that guy. They were best friends. Oh yeah. Treat him with respect. They play piano. He has a little mini me piano. Like Marlon Brando <laughs> definitely saw himself in him. I'm not trying to be mean, but <laughs> that's the term we're using. And no, it's not the right. Okay. Do, do you guys, Anyways, do you guys watch South Park? They loved Park? each other. I, no, I don't know. Watch yeah. You remember Dr. Alphonse Mephisto? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I completely... Dr. Yeah, Alphonse Mephisto always had a mini-me with him that looked exactly like Nelson yeah. Interesting. Uh, I think the character is supposed to be... He might be the one that... He might be the one that is cloned after Brando's own DNA Maybe, versus other yeah. people. Yeah. Um, I think that's sort of part of the discussion there. Um. Big kind comes off as like his little child, like it's his like baby boy that he treats in that way. He does feel like the one of the two characters in the film, and um, Aisa, the first of all character, being the other, who actually does feel like they're trying to say that these are the, like the ones that he cares about versus just like sort of like yeah. cast off. Um, I get it, he was a good guy, he just wanted to shake hands, he had respect, <laughs> and yes, he actually <laughs> was a good piano. He inspired many me in uh, Austin Powers. Yeah. Uh, he's the direct uh, idea for that. Um, let's talk about all the hybrids as a whole. First off, what do we think of the effects? What do we think of like the makeup, the costumes? Um, I would say that I like the idea with what they were going for. I do think the one frustrating thing at times is that it is not necessarily always clear what kind of animals have gone into the hybridization. Like a lot of times yeah. it's just like it looks like generic bovine or generic cat or something. Like a lot of it feels very generic. In some ways, I wish that they'd been more um particular and been like I would sort of like to have seen some kind of characteristic that we identify with the original species exhibited in the hybrids. Like like none of them really have like I don't what is what is the Tamora Morrison character supposed to be? Like there, I don't think there's really a clear explanation for that. Tamora like, Morrison they, I, I honestly thought he was something else, but they say he's a dog. Okay, he does have that dog face. I can, like, he's got I, that I don't think he like, looks dog, like a dog nose. Other than that, that's about it. They say he was a dog, but other than that, I was like, okay, if you tell me he's a dog, I'll, I'll believe you, but he doesn't look like a dog. Yeah, you're making a great point. I, I I completely agree with it. Honestly, visually, I think the biggest issue of the movie is that the animals should be a lot more fun. There should be a lot like more noticeable diversity, and I think the design themselves doesn't look like it went much further than what they were doing. Play of the Apes, like they they could have fit right into the Play of the Apes movies as far really as the does. costumes. Um, they, they it seems like they should have been ha had more been had. God damn it, I'm can't teach anymore. Uh, I mean, it seems I like they should have had more progress. I think the one that looks the most uh, to what they are is a uh, uh, Sayer of the Law, who's obviously a goat. Yeah. And uh, Low Mane, who's obviously a leopard. But other than that, I mean, they had to fucking point it out. Like, hyena swine looks like a hyena, but not a swine. So I don't know what the thing is there. By the way, why is he mixing two animals? I thought it was like animal and people. And, I mean, poor Nelson de la Rosa. What is he? 
I mean, look at him. I really don't know. That's that what we, it, He is Marlon Brando's mixed with a mole rat. I don't know. You're just I mean, assuming. He, he looks weirdly like bird-like, but I'm not really yeah, clear I mean, what we're mixing in there. Which I think is like, and then like even like all the kids, like it's they don't look like animal human hybrids. They just look like very messed up humans. Like they don't necessarily even the the Tamara Morrison character. He doesn't look like an animal human hybrid. He looks like a human who has some kind of facial disease, like some kind of like warts or like something going on. Like it, it's frustrating because at times, it, I mean, also I also think that it sort of ages poorly because it sort of looks like you're. Like it looks sort of racist that you're doing these characters to just kind of like look like people of color and they're not like actual hybrids. Why um, does he have dreads? That's a good question. <laughs> it's a, that's he's the most problematic one. Yeah. Like, okay, he just looks like a, a black person with a really messed up face. Like it doesn't look like a, a hybrid of like an animal and a person. It just it, it's it's that one's deeply problematic. I don't. Yeah, I really don't know. A lot of them don't make sense. Maybe they just put like a bunch of people in makeup and had like Brando come on and see. He's like, dog. dog. <laughs> I even swan. See, I think it's, I think I think it's even less complicated than that. I think literally what they did is they went to their special effects and they're like, make a bunch of animal-looking people, and then they just kind of did it. I don't think they ever. I think this is something we see throughout the movie with just like a constant problem is I don't think there's an attention to detail here. I no, think there's no like, direction at they're all. They're just like, just just do some animals. Yeah. It's like, well, what do you want them to look like? You're supposed to be, you know, we never get the explanation. Why is Dr. Merle making these creatures? You could have had like a part of the movie where he talks about them and the hybrids and like why he did these hybrids. Like there's all this explanation of the science that Dr. Merle was supposedly doing. But it's just completely not in the movie. They're like, should be in the movie because it would be nice to know like, well, why did you choose to do this? Or like, what are these people supposed to be? Even like Aisha, the, the one who basically just looks human with like yeah. slight like but maybe like more work has been done on her they make it seem like she's gonna digress she was so worried about digressing so maybe she has had more like procedures to even make her more human like I, I think they are all wanna regress because they were keep getting hormones oh, and shit to balance them out. Yeah yeah the drugs were but I, I mean like I don't know why it surprises you the lack of information we get we didn't even get the information that the, the boat murdering man worked for the UN I mean, it's true. There's a lack of attention to detail for the entire time. I also think that's another thing. They're like, they're getting hormones to balance them out. Wait, how are hormones balancing <laughs> animal people hybrids? Like, you're pretending that, like, hormones would balance gendered or sex hybrids, not necessarily. Are you injecting, like, animal hormones? Really? Just, like, I don't know what they're doing. Like, that doesn't they're make They're putting more sense. human hormones, I thought, to make them act more human-like and... I mean, I to counteract it. Then I why guess. even fuck with the animals? Just like, <laughs> just like teach maybe, humans better when they're younger and they get a perfect human. There's like a specific balance that you want to get. Like, they look at the guys like, you need more people, inject some people. And then, like, you, you're two people each. You need more pig, inject some pig. I, I don't understand what the guy's doing. He's, he's also like, he wants this utopian world of the perfect human. And, and I think there's the idea that the perfect human, like morally and like they treat each other nice. They like yeah. talk about this. But how is the fucking doing a wild animal or hyena going to create like this perfect moral c 
call call them human because they're going to torture it. I, 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 it it makes no sense. Um, once again, I think if he wanted to create the perfect human, um, he should just really looked into our public education system uh, and, <laughs> and made some changes to that. I mean, it does feel like he's like we're creating these these like these are my children, except I'm like. I still have the, the control on them that I would have in a lab experiment. Like, it's almost like I don't, I'm not caging them anymore, but I'm using this weird, like, you know, trigger on this th thing on them to like yeah. cause them pain. Like, I think this, the movie is just, it, it's frustrating because you're right. It does feel like that there should be the bones of something that's more interesting than something that's more functional. But then it's just like, every time you watch a scene, you're like, well, what is this a hybrid of? Why are they hybridizing these creatures together? What is like, this the, the basic thought process is not that of like why are you hybridizing this creature and this like what is the point what's the goal here like they just like it feels like they're just throwing random stuff together and just like being like yeah look at this weirdo and look at this weirdo and look at this weirdo like it feels he like that who wants to try to convert every single version of every single animal to human to see which one shakes your hand the best <laughs> I mean, maybe <laughs> that's as, that's as good an explanation as we get in the entire film um he's like oh shit just to have a paw shoot it <laughs> i mean so we've talked about characters we talked about the plot i want to talk about some of like the design stuff I, the, what's the weird eye stuff at the beginning of the film where they're just zooming in on eyeballs like they have a really weird eye eye thing going on this is like a big thing throughout the film where they like really like messing with eyes going into eyes zooming in zooming out like what is the what's the point? They're like, just like the identity is in the eyes, how you can tell the soul of the creature. I don't know. You probably just thought that shit looked cool. <laughs> it probably I mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I why are we doing it? It looks badass. Keep fucking doing it. I mean, yeah, I think you just answered that question. I don't think there's any thoughts to it. Um but by the way, I'm looking at a picture of Tamara Morrison's character, and he really does not look like any animal. He looks like Satan spent way too much time on a vacation in Jamaica. <laughs> I don't know why it's like. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a bit yikes. Um, that, that character's <laughs> eight, like, terribly. Um, I, I, so let's go back to the, the Zach you said in the beginning, which is that this movie kind of, in your eyes, falls apart the minute that Brando dies and it becomes kind of the chaos at the end of the film, which is something I think I agree with. Um, it loses any of the allegorical or slight intelligence it has. It, it doesn't care about making a point. It just becomes like, look at this crazy shit happen. Yeah, sex orgies. <laughs> and it's like, uh, like unnecessarily goofy. <laughs> with, with the things it does it's like even that scene that scene is supposed to be like serious as shit the the hyena swine gets on top of the thing and he says like we're gonna walk on all fours we're gonna kill whenever we want this is the law and then they'll go and, and try to kill him and then you see like a fucking arm fly out of the thing like, <laughs> he pulls the fucking arm <laughs> yeah with the watch it's like, ah, that's like good. come on man you had like a good dramatic kill going and then you pull the fucking arm out this is why I watch it now as a comedy because it's fucking gold when you watch it as a comedy. <laughs> Shit cannot be taken seriously. But the weirdest thing about that is the fact that John Frankenheimer, the guy who they bring in to direct this, is not a comedy director. No. So they, they, and that's what's fucking hilarious. About it's it. so weird then because it's like, why is he shooting it this way? Like, it feels like if you're John Frankenheimer and you come in to do this, you would totally just be like, let's make a very straightforward kind of like normal sci-fi horror-ish premise. Like, 
he feels like he doesn't ever do the weird stuff that you kind of like. He doesn't. He does Ooh. a lot of weird stuff that you don't expect. From him. I think he also doesn't care. He to. Yeah, he wanted to, but with dealing with fucking Kilmer and shit, I think he just wanted to blow his fucking brains out by the end. Because <laughs> fucking, he was just like, just finish the shit. <laughs> want to go on? Yeah, at this point, he was just a director for hire. It's not like this yeah. was his passion project. I, I honestly just feel like they had fiction. what they had, and they shoot what they, they shot what they shot, and then he was like. Let's try to make sense of what this is and move on. Like, yeah, it, it's How not, much of a it's not any kind of tour product in the end. How it's, much just of a night- a, it's just a mismatch of parts that they were able to get. How much of a nightmare do you think this was to edit? Mike, you're oh, an editor. God, Can damn. you imagine if they gave you all the footage they shot, what you would have to do? It's insanity. I honestly would have made a three-hour version. <laughs> I think, I think they, I and think watch hoping, it six times in a weekend. <laughs> I think they were hoping that if they made the short version, that maybe people would accidentally walk into the theater and spend money on it. Well, you know, the whole thing was Kilmer coming off of Batman and Marlon Brando, and they went, "Those two names that'll sell the fucking movie right there." You know what? Like that's actually a real thing. Like uh, studios, when they have a bad movie in their hands, they will try to make it as short as possible so they can play it the most times yeah. per day. Before people actually realize it's a bad movie. Also, like, let's be real for a second. That's what if happened make, to Justice League, actually. Like, if you, if you make people watch it, it's two up. If you make people watch a bad ninety-minute movie, they're way more forgiving that you make people watch a bad yeah. three-hour movie. They yeah. will badmouth that thing forever because it's easy to walk out of a bad three-hour movie, a ninety-minute movie, and be like, "All right, that wasn't great," but like, "Oh, what's next? Let's go get some yeah. meat." And if you walk out of a three-hour movie, you're like. My entire day was ruined by this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like when you came out of the English patient, I was like, "Yep." That was shit. Wow. <laughs> bad mouthing the English patient. I don't think you can bad mouth the English patient and be like, I like Dr. Moreau, but then I'm yeah, bad mouth the English patient. Um, let's do some final thoughts. Zach, final thoughts on the island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, I will say, like, 25 minutes in, my like head was about to explode. But I was like, what the fuck? Is this like actually a secret masterpiece? Is this like really good? And then <laughs> Chaos occurs. Like, oh, okay, I, 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 I kind of get what's going on here, and, and I am interested in watching. I know there's a documentary about the making of it. Um, it's probably, probably better. This is one of those movies that was just made, so you're gonna have a great making of story. Fair, uh, Mike. Final thoughts. Wrap it up. What's the, what's the, what's your take? It's a batshit crazy movie that this is the type of movie that I watch just to fucking have a good time with. It is so fucking stupid and so ridiculous that I love watching it. And I agree with that. I've seen the documentary. It's on Shudder right now. If Even if you don't want to watch the fucking movie, go watch the documentary. It's probably one of the best documentaries on a bad fucking movie you will ever see. It goes into everything we've talked about here and more. It is so fucking insane. <laughs> Yes, uh, so I'll shout that out right now in case anyone was wondering. Lost Soul, the doomed journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Mo. It is currently on Shutter. If you are okay with watching with ads, both Tubi TV and Voodoo Free, um, we'll have access to this film in case you have watched Island of Dr. Moreau and want to check up on the documentary. Rosario, final thoughts on The Island of Dr. Moreau. Is it a good movie? Far from it. Is it a piece of shit? Maybe. Yet, <laughs> yet, it's an entertaining third. Like, I, I watched this and I gave it three out of five. 
Like, if you can hold my attention for that long and keep me entertained, even when I know you're giving me shit, there, there's something there. Like, there's some good bones or something. I don't know. But every time I was like, yeah, this is not working. Then something fucking goofy happened. And I was like, ah, got me back. I'm back in for another 15 minutes. Then the thing went down. It's like you get to the island and you're like, okay, this is getting boring. And then the guy fucking kills the rabbit in front of you. And then you're looking interesting again. And then the fucking uh, David Tullis goes crazy with the family. Like, look at that! They're not shaking that kid's head. Then they, they throw out the, the fucking Brando arm. And, and when you think it, it's like, okay, this is over. There's nothing more they can show me. You get fucking uh, Paul Kilmer doing the bad, the bad impression. It works. I will say the one feature we've not discussed so far is that David Sulis seemingly falls for Aisha, the cat-human hybrid played by Feruza Balk, which is one of the weirdest moments in the film in that he decided that he is repulsed by almost all of these hybrids, but then like, he's like, she's attractive, even after finding it out. I think it's like, like this moron is like walking around the other like, yeah, there's just like one random human girl here. And it's like, okay, funny. It can work. It can work. Yeah. Um, it, it is a ridiculous um, train wreck of a film that is clearly, you can see the production problems are evident constantly. And um, the heat, my God, the heat. <laughs> so many good moments. It's weirdly watchable for a film that is not good. Like a lot of times you have bad movies and you're like, you get to the end and you're like, that was not enjoyable. It was not interesting to watch. Yeah. This one is interesting because even in the moments where it is truly terrible, there's a lot of moments where it's very bad. It's at least making some weird choices that you can think about after the scene is going back and be like, why is it doing that? <laughs> yeah, that is the island of Dr. Moreau, which is, uh, you know, I think another example of how to use islands. We talked in our first episode about um, the guns of Navarone and how islands can be this place you have to go to to do a mission. And this is sort of another example of the way islands are used in films in that sometimes islands are this place where crazy things are hidden from view because it's like if you can put an island far enough out of out of range of everything else, then you can get away with doing weirder stuff because you know that you're less likely to discover. Which is essentially the theme of the rest of our month is it's the islands where crazy shit can go down because isolation. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, wanna... I, I would say at least Moreau was smart enough not to make fishmen. I know that would have gotten bad, and then we got out. Um, Wait, that's how Aquaman was created. What the fuck? <laughs> it would be a first superhero was created by Dr. Moreau. It's interesting. It's an origin story, secret prequel. Uh, I mean, Dr. Moreau better than Aquaman, maybe. <laughs> that's just for Lucas. You insane. Like post-credit scene, they just like zoom in on a baby with the fin thing, and they say, like, an Aquaman was born here. I would watch a James Wan-directed Aquaman prequel that cut into the 1996 version of Island. <laughs> <laughs> the, the connective tissue. I would watch that movie. I, I think that's the true movie that all DC fans want. So, yeah, re release the Juan Moreau cut now. <laughs> um, I want to thank Nazario and Mike for coming on and talking about this ridiculous film with us. Um, we had you guys on a while ago that we had you on some reviews, and I think this time we got um, at least more interesting movies to talk to about oh, yeah. than we did the first time through. 
Um, so thank you so much. We will definitely have you both back either um, as uh, solo artists or as the the duo. Well, you'll be on for a special edition right after this of the live commentary for Team Titans Go to Space Jam. That episode may never get posted. Um, it's gonna be <laughs> what are you going to do? Michael based the island. <laughs> no. Do not. <laughs> okay. I will say hey, I, Yes, sir. Go, 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 go. As a 13-year-old, I saw the island being made. I was in Detroit when they were filming the island to see a Green Day concert. 13-year-olds. They, so they, they filmed the island, the movie The Island in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that Detroit is not even My memories do me wrong. <laughs> um, but is the island about an island? I thought it was just like a future dystopian. Oh, the island there's, only there's happens no if it's like, uh, yeah. There is no island in the island. Yeah. It's <laughs> just a nice concept of the island. The same is there a the RoboCop in the island? <laughs> Detroit's famous RoboCop is in the <laughs> island. I mean, that would be an interesting movie. RoboCop on the island? It's like that should have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we've talked about Island of Dr. Moe. Next week, we'll be back to talk about um, Battle Royale is, uh, we, <laughs> is our third movie of the month, which is another um, sort of like secluded island where crazy shit happens, but uh, probably a lot more violent and a lot less weird. Um, yeah, good-ass movie. Mike Hanley, Battle Royale, is it a great fucking movie? Great fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. Mike Hanley gives the seal of approval. <laughs> and folks, we will see you next week. Bye-bye, all. Peace out.